is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Happy belated Thanksgiving to everyone. When you take a week off, you kind of hope that soccer slows down so we don't miss too much, and exactly the opposite happens. Welcome back to another installment of FUVFC. I'm Keenan Troy, joined by Michael Hernandez, donning the Liverpool kit as we are Following along the Merseyside Derby today, are we watching in studio? Maybe, maybe not. But it's not going to affect our podcasting abilities whatsoever. And for the first time on mic, he's produced for us a couple times, James Burley. James, we're going to start with you. How are you, my man? I'm great. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, happy to be on the podcast. We're looking forward to get into it. Michael, what's up with you, man? Currently, Liverpool sitting 2-0 up against you know li- fellow Liverpool rivals right across Goodison Park, Everton. Watching the game, it's looked good so far. How are you doing? How is your Thanksgiving? Uh, I, I am doing great. You know, I'm very happy that Liverpool is up 2-0 right now. Um, I'm hoping that we can extend that lead uh, to make it better. And, yeah, I'm just excited to, uh, to be back in the studio after uh, the short Thanksgiving break. As I had mentioned, gentlemen, we had a very loaded week in soccer in the time that we are away from the podcast. And I think, by and large, as a podcast, we've, we've showed a lot of love to the Premier League just because, you know, in the States, it's the most accessible form of soccer to watch because if you have basic cable, you'll at least get to watch something on NBC. If you've got a little bit better than basic cable, you get NBCSN, USA, where you can pick up games here and there. But going into the last match week, the Champions League is lining up to be chaotic, hectic. We already know Dortmund's taking a backseat. Barcelona needs to beat Bayern to you know secure them. Spe- they need to get a point from Bayern in order to secure themselves into the knockouts. Already have Man United locking up a spot. Their fate's still not decided. But I think last week we were treated to a to a very quality game, and I want to start here because you know both these teams, being PSG and Man City, are going to advance into the knockouts. But in terms of Champions League hierarchy, because as you get to the knockouts, you know that's when you really see best 11s week in, week out. You know it's It's do or die, as it should be. But that Man City versus PSG game, I think, you know, with the even without the addition of Messi, you look at this PSG side and you say, this is a team that can run the table. They add Messi, you're like, they should be unstoppable. And that Man City game, you look at it, they go up 1-0, Bappe scores, as he so frequently does for his side, and then just, I don't want to say the wheels fall off the wagon, but the, the consistency in defense that they haven't found was exploited by a, you know, a great pep side, and they end up dropping that game. And there's questions to be asked of, is this team you know, credible to do some serious damage come knockouts? 
Well, for me, I think the whole PSG conundrum, uh, not that it's quite a conundrum, but it, it might be too much too soon. All the firepower that they have up top, they expected it to be this uh, super team for the ages. And, you know, this is Lionel Messi's first time at a new club in his career. So if you want to expect him to be the Lionel Messi that we've all known at Barcelona and for the Argentinian national team, you know, it, it it's a bit of a learning curve for him. So you cannot expect this team to go out and be this team of world beaters. And that's not to say that Manchester City are a pushover. They're very far from that. They're potentially the main favorites to win this Champions League in this edition. So, you know, for that match to have turned out the way that it is, it, it, to me, it wasn't a massive surprise. And for PSG to not be, you know, at the top of the top like a lot of people expected them, it, to me, it's not a huge surprise. What do you think, Michael? I would say that I, uh, that I completely agree with that, you know, because obviously if you take a look at PSG's attack, I mean, that is, you know, every fan's dream. You have, you know, Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe. But the issue is that, you know, with that much firepower up front, it's like they're not tracking back on defense. And I feel like that that's the main issue because if you have three players who aren't going to defend, you you have no chance in, in, in winning games just because, you know, because essentially it's going to be 11 versus 8 because you have the three up front who aren't, you know, do, doing their jobs on defense. And, and I'm pretty sure that you saw that in the game. Like, you know, you saw uh, the PSG uh, fullbacks being pressed. They were, you know, outnumbered every single time just because Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe weren't dropping back. And because of that, you know, they just gave up goals because, you know, uh, Pep and Man City were just able to slice them apart. You know, like, sh- sure, they were down 1-0, but then they came back and scored two goals, you know, by just o- overloading them, and, and, and that's why they won. And I think, you know, James, your point absolutely rang true with me when they signed Messi, which is, you know, it's going to be difficult for him to find his place. And, you know, when that signing occurred and, you know, the early struggles we saw with Mbappe possibly wanting to gut out and go to Real Madrid— before you guys were on the podcast, I talked to Dylan Balsamo, who really helped FUVFC get up and running this summer. We were like, is it too much to put, you know, a front three of this quality out there in must-win games? Because if you look back to the MSN days, the Messi, Suarez, and Neymar games, that Barcelona midfield was so defensive-minded that it wasn't—you needed them to defend a little bit. And, you know, Suarez would do that dirty work playing, you know, dropping in as a nine, and you could just kind of leave— Messi and Messi and Neymar up front and not really ask too much of them. But with those three standing alone, you know, no one really playing a true position in the sense that, yeah, they'll line up wherever, but we see it all the time, you know, not only with guys of this caliber. We're talking about watching Liverpool. You know, you'll see Firmino go out wide, Salah Tuck Central. When you add Diego Schota in the mix, the front three are interchangeable. But for Pochettino, he, for some reason he can't get the most defensively out of that front three. And that begs the question of, you know, we see Pep so easily to slice him. And when you get to the knockouts, as we all know from following Champions League, more or less you're going to draw a hard team and a team that knows how to win and a team that, you know, from the manager down understands where your biggest issue is. And I think for this PSG side, as Michael, you said, if you've only got eight guys behind the ball, you know, pressing and staying close, you're always going to have that fail safe to reset through the back. And you're also just going to be able to exploit them when, you know, your fullbacks are in possession in the defensive third because they don't have an outlet up the line because, you know, Neymar, who might be out for some time now with an injury, but you've got Mbappe sitting at the at the midfield line just waiting for, you know, a break to come to him. So definitely some questions there. But outside of that Group A that features those two powerhouses, if we look at Group B, you got Liverpool clearly in first place with, you know, taking point maximum points for all their games. They've been phenomenal. 
You've got Porto sitting on five. You've got Milan sitting on four. You've got Atleti sitting on four. That's going to be an insane last match week for all teams within that group, solely because with the exception of Liverpool, who we've seen within that group just be leaps and bounds better and being able to put teams away, you got to wonder who's going to squeak on in. We saw Milan come through late against Atleti to keep their hopes alive, but I don't want to say that Porto's my team to get in just because they always get humiliated by Liverpool. So anytime you see them play Liverpool, you're like, wow, this team's really tragic. But I think Porto's going to sneak on in just, I mean, they're one point clear right now, which really doesn't indicate anything besides the fact that if they get a draw, they're at least have one team out of the picture. But I like this Porto side solely because you got to love the underdogs. We talked about Ajax in Group C. They've also taken maximum points in that Group C going to have to say goodbye to Erling Holland. Dortmund knocked out, despite only being three points behind Sporting Lisbon. They just can't get the most amount of points. you got Madrid and Inter from Group D. And I like Group E, and I think that's where we should focus on next, boys, because you got Bayern playing phenomenal football. But in their next match, they take on Xavi's Barcelona, who desperately needs a win. I mean, if they take a point, they're relying on Dynamo Kiev to beat Benfica or get a draw, which... Realistically, I'm not going to see that happen. But if you're Xavi, what's that team talk? You just took over the club. You're looking to salvage Champions League. You know, you're still doing, still trying to figure out where you can move within La Liga. I think that you know to rule them out of Championship contention this early is is stupid because I think that team has enough skill that if they get put in the right direction, they'll be okay. But if you're Xavi, where do you, how do you match up against this Bayern team that has just been so dominant for so long? Well, I think if if you're Chavi and you're trying to look at you know the result that you have to get uh, from Bayern, I believe it's also in Munich. It's at the Allianz Arena. Um, you have to you have to if you're doing a team talk, it has to be about legacy. You have to think we are Barcelona. We are probably the greatest club of the since the turn of the century. And if we go to the Europa League, do you know how potentially embarrassing that could be for the the legacy of the club? As 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 embarrassing as the last couple of years have been to losing Messi to the financial crisis, and what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to load this match up with firepower. They're going to have to go after this Bayern team. There's no excuse if they do not get through this group. I mean, the, the other two teams that have that are contending for the spot are Benfica and Kiev, and Kiev's already out. So, uh, I mean, Benfica really, three points for Benfica, and they, they go through if Bayern, uh, Barcelona excuse me, does not get uh, at least a win because the draw, they're going to get leaped on goal difference. So... It's a huge, huge match for Barcelona. They have to win. And anything less, like even a draw a draw away at Bayern for Barcelona, even at the glory days of Barcelona, is a good result. But now, like, the pressure's really on. And even though it's Xavi's, what, first few matches, his first Champions League match, I believe, like, uh, the pressure's already boiling for him. And because of the legacy he has brought to Barcelona, you can't expect anything less than three points. You know what? I completely, uh, I completely agree with that. Like, just thinking about Barcelona not in the Champions, at least in the knockouts of the Champions League, is 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 just it, it's just impossible. You know because they have been one of the best clubs since the turn of the century. You know they've always been there. Sure, they've been knocked out. You know in humiliating ways, eight two. You know four zero. The uh, the three zero against Roma, but at least they've made it. And and don't forget, not only if they don't make it into the knockouts, they're going to lose that money. That is, you know, because they need that money right Mm -hmm. now because they are also in debt. So this is not only, you know, just for legacy, but it's also they need it financially. So, you know, this is a this is a must win because let's be honest, like both of you said, 
there's no way that Kiev is, is going to beat or at least draw with Benfica, just because, you know, let's be honest, Kiev is just not up uh, to the quality of, of the other teams. So this is a must-win for Barca, and I feel a bit bad for Xavi, just because he's kind of been, you know, a, a mid-year hire. And, and, and let's be honest, I feel like he's going to be great at Barcelona, but right now, like, this is a very high-pressure test for him, and, and I worry that if he fails... What will that mean for the rest of his career at the Bar- or, or, or what's going to happen for the rest of the season at Barcelona? And I, I think if it's a loss, it's definitely one that you hope you get hope help from Kiev, which, as we said, might be unlikely. But we've seen stranger things happening in the Champions League. We, I mean, we saw Sheriff beat Real Madrid, and Benfica is no Real, and I think Kiev is a little bit better than that Sheriff team. So, realistically, it could happen. But if you're Xavi, you want to make it through. We talked about the financial incentive. We talked about the legacy. All of that aside, if you can come in, you know, mid-season higher to your, the club that gave you so much and get a huge win away to keep your Champions League hope alive and say, we don't need help, we're able to do this ourselves, I expect Barcelona next year to be returned to back to their old state, just riding that momentum alone and having that confidence in your boss, which will, you know, if you, if Xavi's able to go get a win away at Dor- at uh, excuse me, at Bayern, You'd like to think that the owner's board, if they're not 100% behind him, they're saying this is our guy for as long as he's willing to stay and as much as long as we're able to keep him financially happy. Outside of that group, though, if we look to Group F, United, they're through. It can realistically drop to second if Villarreal gets all three and they don't beat Young Boys, which, I mean, we don't really know this new Man U identity, but kind of expect them to draw or hope that Atalanta, who currently sits in third in the group, but they play Villarreal, so they can, with a win, they have to win. Win and they're in, essentially, for Atalanta. Group G, literally everything is up for grabs. Lille sits at the top of the group with eight. Salzburg with seven. Sevilla with six. Wolfsburg with five. So that last match week for them is going to be very interesting to see, solely because any four of those teams can move into a Champions League knockout stage. I really like Leo. I think they've been playing really well, and I think Sevilla is going to jump in front of Salzburg solely because I think when push comes to shove, that Spanish style is a little quicker than what Salzburg likes to play. Salzburg's more of, you know, like in your face, up front, physical soccer, and I think Sevilla playing each other, I think Sevilla is going to go ahead and get the win there. And then to round it out, we've got Juve and Chelsea in Group H, both of whom are through. So, gentlemen, as we're wrapping up talking about Champions League and looking ahead, you know, knockout's so close, everybody kind of getting anxious and excited. We see a couple dominant teams, if we're talking City, PSG's kind of on the bubble, and then Liverpool, Chelsea, I guess you could even say Juve. I'm not too sold on Juventus, but Liverpool, Chelsea, Dortmund, PSG kind of on the bubble, and City. Are there anyone outside of that half five? Is Ajax on that level? Or are we just going to expect one of those five to kind of run the run the table here? Not that I expect any of those five to physically run the table because I do think, yeah, you mentioned Ajax, Bayern, Chelsea, uh, Juventus potentially, but City, uh, you know, those, those, teams are, those teams are going to be the ones that make this push. You know, City still looking for that first Champions League. Um, for me, they're one of the favorites. I don't know if I'd say they're the favorite, Liverpool as well. You know, whoever for me, whoever does not win the Premier League between Chelsea, Liverpool, and City is probably going to be in the final for this Champions League, you know, provided who gets drawn where. 
But I, because th- I think those are the three best teams in the world uh, with the addition of Bayern. So PSG, I mean, as good as they could be, I don't think anybody looks at this team right now, their performances, and says, yeah, this is the team that's going to win the Champions League, even with that fantastic front three, you know, that we talked about. Because um, they are, you know, to put it neatly, they're a bit, they're underperforming a bit. Um, as far as Juventus goes, we know how erratic they can be. Just look at them in Serie A. So, I mean, for me, it's going to be between those three English teams and, and Bayern. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I completely, uh, I completely agree with that. Um, as a Liverpool fan, the the team that I'm worried about the most in terms of who would win the Champions League is Chelsea. Just because if you take a look at, you know, th- they're a very well-set-up team. And if you take a look at how many goals they've scored, they're not really relying that much on attackers. So it's like, you know, th- the fact that they're able to score goals from midfield, from defense. You know, you, you had Reese James score that beautiful uh, goal against Juve uh, midweek. I mean, based on the fact that, you know, they can score goals even without, you know, their, uh, without Lukaku, without Werner, who I believe are back from injury now. The fact that they can still score goals without their, without their star strikers, that's a team that I would definitely be worried about if Liverpool had to draw them. And we talked about, you know, as you mentioned, Michael, you know, you got Werner back and you're also getting Romelu Lukaku back for Chelsea. But I think it's that Tuchel consistency that if I'm an opposing team, I'm upset about. Just because I think it's the only team in Champions League that rivals that of... You know, Barcelona a few years ago, Real Madrid a few years ago, Bayern pretty much consistently for the past five years of just whoever they slot in those roles, they will play the exact same style of soccer and nothing will change defensively, nothing will change going forward. You know, maybe some user errors if you're playing lesser quality players like Werner inside the six-yard box. You probably won't score too much. But with the exception of that, you know, you look out wide if you're playing Pulisic, if you're playing Ziyech, whomever's out there up front, you've got plenty of options in the midfield you know you've got Conte and Jorginho who are pretty much the anchors of that midfield and two of the best midfielders in the world I think Chelsea is likely to make a and like the hardest part about this right for us guys is it's just all going to depend on the draw because we can speculate 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 and say you know Chelsea's our favorite but if Chelsea draws Bayern in the first round which you know they probably won't is actually cannot because you know they both won their group but by and large, if they face each other in a quarterfinal or in a semifinal, then all this talk is for naught because we're going to be treated to a final in the first in the first in a knockout stage versus in a one game, one game only. Well, that's that's why these last match days of the group stage are so important because you know it as it might be unlikely, but Juventus could jump in front of Chelsea and take that first spot. So Juventus in the first round could be playing a team like Villarreal or or Salzburg, and then Chelsea's going to have to go and play a team like Bayern or City. So. For me, these last matches don't expect a lot of squad rotation. Even if, even in a team like Liverpool, who are already clearly going to top their group, you know these these match days. You know you don't get too many European nights, even when you're already through to the group, and even when you're the team who's in fourth. You know you always want to spoil the party because these games are precious. These games are everything for these clubs. This is why everybody hated the Super League. You know you want to cherish these moments. Um, and for me, that's why like, I really don't want to see a Bayern Chelsea sort of match in the round of sixteen. But if it happens. It's because one team dropped the ball in their in their sixth match day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you take a look at the groups, for example, PSG are confirmed to be in second place. So as of right now, if you take a look at the draw, they could potentially go up against Liverpool, Ajax, Mad- uh, Madrid, Bayern, United, or and whoever tops Group H, and also whoever tops Group G. So like that is why you know every match day is is essential. I mean, for example, uh, just take a look at Group G. Not a single spot is confirmed. You have you know you have. 
eight point seven points, six points, and five points. It's actually kind of nice, you know, because you have the the numbers. But like, you know, every team could qualify, and if you have that top seed, you know, you can just get, you know, you might get an easier draw, uh, unless if you know a team drops the ball, and then you and then you have, you know, that that Chelsea Bayern matchup that you were talking about, which I don't think will happen. Um, but you know, in, in the Champions League, you never know because you know mm-hmm. w- we've seen way too many upsets you know for example the barca Bayern. you know no one expected that to be 8-2 you know i i hate to keep on dragging barcelona but the liverpool 4-0 no one expected that the roma you know 3-0 like no one expects that so you know that's what makes this uh, that's what makes the competition so great and you know james you touched on the super league and you know this is precisely why no one won it is because you love when a team like sheriff which exists in a small town in russia which still is devoutly leninist they can go to Madrid and put on a world-class showing and beat them. And you can go into match day six with spots locked up, no spots locked up, somewhere in between, and you just say duke it out because on match day six, everyone needs to play their best football in order to improve their chances of making a deep run within the Champions League. So I'm super excited. I know you guys are as well to see how that shakes out. For me, who I think is going to you know, go the distance, I think James's point is, insanely valid for you know the guys in the Premier League you know I don't think United I think United is going to emphasize the Champions League if I was Michael Carrick or the new boss taking over just because you're not going to win the Prem the way these teams perform in the Prem you just can't the the amount of points you spilled thus far into the season maybe you can focus on top four but even if you're focusing on top four I think you can still you know put forth a lot of attention into the Champions League and not have to sacrifice too much in the Prem but I also think you know of the Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man City. Whichever one kind of falls out of the race for the Premier League title, they're just going to emphasize the Champions League and try and make a deep run there. And then I like, you know, Bayern, perennial contender. Dortmund's not really performing that the way that they should in Bundesliga, so that gives them some more freedom. I think it's just going to be completely open, though. I think, you know, we often see a lot of transparency in the Champions League. I think this year's just a continued emphasis of that, so knockouts are sure to be super fun. You know, when they come around, when that draw comes through, we're definitely going to have to cover it here. But perhaps the other biggest news besides Champions League, besides a United hire, because who knows if that's going to fix anything, was that soccer's most prestigious award was given out this past week. That is the Ballon d'Or. And when I say there's controversy, I mean there was controversy. Just because for us growing up, it was either Messi or Ronaldo, Messi or Ronaldo, Messi or Ronaldo. Throwing Luka Modric one year. Probably didn't deserve that, but, you know, just... Messi and Ronaldo had a down year, so Modric slid in. But this year was the first year I thought we could really sit and say that somebody else, even on their best day, Messi and Ronaldo did not, you know, hold a, a candle to this player. And it was Robert Lewandowski, and I think you know, you've seen it throughout the soccer community of people saying he was screwed over, that it was, you know, cheating, stolen, whatever. I want to get your boys' reactions from it just because. I think for us it's so loaded because you can look at Lewandowski and you can kind of critique him as he's just a goal scorer. He doesn't really do anything off off the ball, whatever. But by and large for me, I think that he has been the best player for the past 18 months in soccer. Should have won in 2020, was scrapped because of COVID. But ultimately Lewandowski, I think, should have won that Ballon d'Or. And I'm interested to hear what your guys' reasons why you think it was messy because I think there's still some implicit bias towards Messi and Ronaldo within the FIFA community, and especially within the Ballon d'Or community, that you're going to give it to him solely because of who he is 
versus, you know, probably the best player in the world right now. So I love Lionel Messi, you know, and I love Cristiano Ronaldo. I love all the best players in the world because, you know, they're the ones you want to watch. And I'm a firm believer that if when Lionel, before, until Lionel Messi retires, he will be the best footballer on the planet. And yeah, that's that implicit bias that you were talking about that is going to contribute to him winning these awards, even if he, you know, for example, has an off year. Not that he had a particularly off year. He was fantastic, like he always is. But for me, Robert Lewandowski not getting the award in 2020 because it was canceled was just such a farce. That was, that felt so, like he got so cheated out of it to me because he was so clearly the winner. And it was so clearly not going to be Ronaldo or Messi in that year. This year, a bit more gray. But yeah, I agree. Last 18 months, probably the best player in the world, Robert Lewandowski. And for all the critics who are saying ah, he's just a pure goal scorer, that's that's how you win soccer games is when you score goals. So the players who put the ball in the net, they make the most money, they win the awards, and deservedly so because they're the ones who win you games. And so for 2021, I do feel like he got uh, a bit unfortunate here. But I think Lionel Messi again was uh, it. It was either going to be him or Messi, Lewa or Messi, and you know it just didn't go Lewandowski's way this time around. That consolation best striker trophy was uh, just felt like an insult, honestly, that they took him away from him in 2020. And even Messi agreed with that. He got up on stage and said, hey, man, you should have won it last year. But this year it's me. So it is what it is. I, I was about to make that comment about the Messi quote. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, he, he should have won that last year. He, you know, he won the sextuple. He won every single trophy that was available. He was a top goal scorer in every competition. You know, he was on an on another level but one reason why i believe why messi would have uh would would have won his seventh ballon d'or is because don't forget he won the copa america with argentina this is his first major international trophy i'm not counting the under uh whatever age it was uh in the olympics because i'm just not going to um because you know he lost in the world cup against germany and then in the two copa americas in 15 and 16 against chile so this was his you know this is his first trophy with his country so i feel like that is what Maybe not seal the deal, but, you know, it definitely did push it over to, like, okay, maybe, you know, because of, you know, since Messi is considered one of the greatest of all time, since he won, since he finally won with his country, I think, I, I thought that he would get it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. You know, I think that Lewandowski should have been given it, and, and, and like you said, even Messi agreed. He said, you know, you should have won 2020 because he was on another level. I mean, you know, and I agree with what... um. Uh, with what was said before, you know, Lewandowski uh, for the past 18 months has been unreal. I mean, take a look at his midweek goal in the Champions League. He did a, you know, a bicycle kick against, um, I actually forget what team it was, but, you know, he scored that bicycle kick. Uh, so, you know, he is clearly on a, on another level. And, you know, it, it is sad to, you know, see him not win the Ballon d'Or because, you know, winning the Ballon d'Or will forever cement your history. And now it's just like, oh, he won the best striker of the year, which was, you know, that was just a pity trophy, if if we're being honest. So, you know, I, I just feel bad for him on that. And I think, you know, Michael, you brought up an interesting point, and I can go back to you on this just because you brought it up. You mentioned that it's, you know, Messi was phenomenal in the Copa. He had four goals and five assists in seven matches played, obviously leading Argentina to the Copa, his first major trophy, as in Argentine national. All well and good, but even for me, that's still like sour grapes in my mouth because... As good as he was, and trust me, he was by far the best player within that tournament, Lewandowski plays for Poland, who typically is not a strong footballing nation, as, you know, to the likes of an Argentina. And so though Messi was so influential, he's also playing alongside world-class talent, not to say the Polish national team isn't full of talent, but it's not to the level that, you know, 
Argentina is, and also the Copa is no European qualifier. It's no Euro championship at all. You probably have got Brazil, Argentina, a couple years of good Chilean soccer. Sometimes, you know, you had Ecuador okay, Venezuela okay, Colombia okay within the past couple years, but none of those teams really, really strong in the sense that Argentina is so dominant, and so is Brazil. Brazil, excuse me. So I'm just wondering, is is it just like, oh, congrats, Leo, you finally did something on an international level despite playing for Argentina for, what now, 12-plus years? It's been a while, yeah. Yeah, so I, I just I hate to think of that as the selling point for him because realistically you'd expect Messi to win a Copa America once. And I don't think that's enough. That trophy alone is not enough to say you are the best player in the world because you led your country. That's also littered with stars mm-hmm. to a championship and a trophy in a weaker tournament than that of Euro- the Euros. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I might be on the wrong side of this argument, but, you know, m- maybe the Copa America, you know, it doesn't have as many star-studded teams, but, you know, I, I feel like... at in comparison to some European qualifier games or some of the of the games during the Euros, I feel like maybe some matches of the Copa America were you know higher intensity or I I'm not sure how to phrase this because I, I don't want to you know cause a, an outrage in the in the studio but you know um but but uh, to answer your question I mean if you take a look at it, you know obviously Messi is like let's be honest this year was not his finest year you know obviously if you take a look at, at, at what he's done with PSG you know it, it he he needs to you know adjust and take some time but you know I. I, I mean, I'm not really sure why. I'm not sure why he won. You know, because none of us voted. None of us, you know, know why they voted for who. But you know, it it, it is kind of like the implicit bias that was mentioned before. So it's like, okay, you know, Messi didn't win a trophy, but he finally got over. You know, he finally won something with Argentina. Yes, it is a star-studded, you know, country. It, it has it has history. You know, with Maradona and, and and all of that talent. But I feel like you know, for the reporters. And for the people who who chose the um who, who chose the awards, they were like, oh, you know, it's messy, you know, it has to be messy. Oh, let's just use this as an excuse to you know, uh, as an excuse to give him the votes. Do I agree with Messi winning the Ballon d'Or? I mean, I'd have to say not really, you know, just because I I feel like at least you know Lewandowski should have been given his twenty twenty Ballon d'Or if not this Ballon d'Or. But you know, I I. I'm not saying that that I agree with the logic of winning the Copa America, but I can see why people voted for it. I I th- I think there's this new trend in it's or maybe not so new now. It's it's a few years old in the Ballon d'Or votings where they kind of overinflate the the uh, meaning of international competitions. International competitions are my favorite thing about soccer. Nothing brings the world together more than international football. But we saw it like look at if you look at the top three votes, you have in third place was Jorginho. Now look, Jorginho, quality midfielder done really well for Chelsea, done really well for Italy, but are you telling me he's the third best player in the world from the no. past year? No. no. It's just because of the competitions that this team won. You look back 2018, Luka Modric won the Ballon d'Or because Croatia went on that absolutely brilliant run to the World Cup uh, final, losing to France 4-2 in that final, but you tell me he was the best player in the world that year? Probably not. 2016, uh, Ronaldo won the award because the Real won the Champions League and the Euros, but Lionel Messi outscored and assisted him in the same league that season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's kind of this new trend that whoever does better in competitions is going to get the award, especially if that's competition in an international competition. And, you know, like you said, like, Poland's not going to win the Euros or the World Cup anytime soon. They're not even going to qualify for the World Cup. So it, it's it's a bit unfair to players from smaller countries that this is, this is the case. I mean, w- one thing I want to add on that, 
is um you know you said that you know like obviously Jorginho was third because you know he won the Euros and the Champions League. But I feel like and I totally agree. Like now it's just focused on trophies. For example, like you said in 2016, Ronaldo won the Ballon d'Or because he won Champions League and Euros. Yet Messi, you know, outscored him and outassisted him. I feel like for the voters in today's voting, you know, nothing matters unless if you have that trophy. So, you know, I feel like they were like, oh, Messi won, you know, the uh, the Copa America. Well, Bayern Munich crashed out of the DFP Poco. Okay, boom. You know, M- Messi won it because he finally won with Argentina. And, you know, it, it is an interesting uh, way, to say the least, on how to decide who's the best player in the world. Because it's, cause it's, uh, it's like we said, was Jorginho the third best player in the world? No. I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that he's not worthy of, you know, of the trophies that he won. But it's like... Third, I mean, you know, let's be honest. No, you know, I, I just don't think that he's the third best player in the world. And so it boils down to this. And to conclude here, boys, is if you're Lionel Messi, you win that award, and we've talked about his move to PSG and how he's still trying to find his footing. You know, he had a hat trick of assist over the weekend, which was, you know, oh, Messi's returning, Messi's returning. And I guess this, you know, ties everything together because. There's no indication that Lewandowski's going to be slowing down at Munich. You know, you mentioned the bicycle kick, Michael. He just continues, continues excuse me, to find ways to put the ball in the back of the net. And that system is perfect for him in the sense that, you know, he just needs to work. He doesn't need to work box to box as if he were a winger. He just needs to work about 45 yards in and be dangerous around the 18-yard box, which he has been his whole career. But we're talking about trophies and the emphasis on it. And this year, in a year that isn't, you know, littered with international trophies, I guess we got the World Cup at the end of the year. But we've mentioned that, let's be honest, I don't think Argentina stands a chance and Poland didn't qualify. So, and Portugal might not qualify too, depending if, you know, they face Italy, what that match looks like, if and when that happens. Is it fair to assess that this year could be the first year, you know, with the exception of that Modric year, that we could see Messi and Ronaldo start to decay in terms of being those recurring Ballon d'Or finalists. We saw Ronaldo finish at six on the list this year, obviously Messi finishing first, but his time at PSG has not been anything remarkable like we've seen. We have questions of that Argentine side going into the World Cup, you know, obviously not the favorites. I, 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 me personally, I think this might be one of the last ones we see Messi get. And I think Ronaldo, as we've seen him with United, I don't think he's going to be in a position like he was to continue winning Ballon d'Ors. I really don't. Yeah, I, I think we've seen uh, Ronaldo collect his last Ballon d'Or. Um, you know, and that's not anything to be like to like poke fun at him about. You know, the man's thirty six years old now. Um, the best part of his career, yeah, it's past him. He's still, uh, for me, the second best player of all time behind Leo Messi. Um, certainly, world class will continue to be world class until he retires. Uh, has been world class for Manchester United, probably the only bright spot that they've had in terms of individual players on the pitch this season. Um, but as for Messi, I mean, time will tell because we've seen his transition to PSG hasn't looked great. But Argentina in the World Cup qualifiers uh, and South America, Conmebol World Cup qualifiers, they are a different breed. Uh, if you think UEFA is hard to qualify in Conmebol, they only send only four, four, and, yeah. four no, and a half four teams, and then five, yeah, and they, the they, that yeah. fifth goes to the playoff. And that is a that is a region where all 10 teams really could fight for those spots. I mean, Bolivia, Venezuela, maybe not, but all the other eight teams. Like, you got Chile and Uruguay outside, looking on the outside in right now. So 
Messi's been performing really well in that competition, and that is no joke. So for me, it's going to be how he responds with PSG in the, in the next year. So, And it, it, it is Lionel Messi is the greatest player to ever walk the earth. So if we see him win another Ballon d'Or, I won't be surprised. But, yeah, I think this could be one of his last ones. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that I think next year we're going to have a different Ballon d'Or winner just because, you know, Ronaldo got sixth. This is the first time since... 2008 I want to say uh, it's been a long time since he's been ranked outside the top three so no, th- their times are definitely you know starting to wind down um, as to who would win the Ballon d'Or I mean it obviously it's too early to tell um, but I, 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 I feel like you know Messi unless if he is able to adjust uh, rapidly at PSG and you know help uh, PSG do better in the Champions League because let's be honest they're just going to walk over Ligue 1 just because it's it's Ligue 1 um, unless if because at, if at the end of the season that's the only trophy that Messi has, there's no way he's gonna win it. And based off of United's current form, I don't think that they're gonna win a trophy. I mean, they might do a good charge in the FA Cup or Champions League. And of course, you know Ronaldo. You know, uh, you know Ronaldo's what six goals in five match days of the Champions League, if I'm not mistaken. So you know he will score goals, but I just don't think that you know either Messi or Ronaldo are in a position to you know get another Ballon d'Or. And it's going to be sad because it's the end of an era because, you know, since 2007 or 8, we've had those two minus 2020 because COVID and 18 uh, with Modric. Those two have just been dominating the world stage. And I think, you know, we've to wrap up the show here, guys, I think, you know, we've taught we started with Champions League. We switched to this. Not to take anything away from either player because we've expressed how good they've been for the game and how, you know, our generation has certainly been defined by their playing ability, but... There's still a lot to go, and, you know, maybe United flips that switch. We know how good Messi can be when he gets in form. And that might be all it takes for PSG to, you know, really go out and show out in the knockouts of the Champions League. And, you know, if you're Manchester United and you're Cristiano Ronaldo, just get in, and anything can happen. You know, you definitely have the quality within that United team. Despite their, you know, passion to never play to their ability— they definitely have the quality there that could they could turn a couple heads. They could go on a little run. So we talk about them maybe not winning. Beauty of soccer is that so much is unknown and so much is unpredictable just because when it boils down to it's 11 versus 11 and who's going to go out there and steal a game. So it should be super interesting to see how both of those two players play. You know, you got Lewandowski playing Messi's beloved Barcelona who's still looking to qualify for knockouts. I wouldn't be surprised if he just goes out there and puts three past him. Maybe says a message to Xavi, like, tell your boy I should be winning that. I think that'd be hilarious. Will it happen? No, I think he's too calm and cool and collected, but maybe spice it up for us, Louis. Um, I still think he might score a goal. I I, I could definitely see, I can definitely see the. Oh, I can uh, see him scoring. scoring. I just want him to yell at Xavi that, <laughs> tell, you know, because Xavi definitely has Messi's contact. Oh, and, definitely, without a doubt. And he should, if I'm Lewandowski, I'm yelling at Xavi to tell Messi that I should be winning that Ballon d'Or. But should be an interesting upcoming weeks, you know, no Champions League this week. Got match midweek action in the Premier League going on right now. And then we've got Champions League before next week. Yeah. Next week. Be back next week to talk us through everything that happened. Look at you know who's in, who's out. Should be super fun. James, thank you for coming on. First time. Crushed it. Michael, always fun to have you in here. Donning the Liverpool red kit per usual. For both those boys... James Burley, Michael Hernandez, Nick Guzman. Nick, I got your last name this time, and you weren't in the studio, so maybe you should just stay behind the glass. I'm Keenan Troy. Enjoy the week, folks. Enjoy soccer. 
We'll see you next week. Take care.